Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Oh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. Today on the show, we have the charismatic Mike Bullard, Canada's former one and only late night TV talk show host. Mike also hosted CFRB 1010 Talk Radio and toured North America as a stand-up comedian for over a decade. He stopped by my house for a talk. Mike, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Marco. <laughs> I have to say that I'm a little nervous having you on on the show because I'm not a radio show host. Right. Clearly a TV show host. Yeah, that's the same I've reason been, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been the kind of the man in the shadows and, and happy with being the man in the shadows. I'm just intrigued by certain people in that we started this podcast a while ago and it's seemed to be going very good. We're just continuing and I'm thrilled that you're here, especially with the credentials that uh, you hey, man, have. We've been friends a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Been through a lot of ups and downs together. Yes. Yeah. Separately, but together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you doing? Good. It's a nice Saturday. It's good afternoon. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. Very nice. It's crisp. It's perfect for a snowfall. <laughs> I don't know why anybody's going to care. <laughs> if <laughs> anybody do. cares enough to, uh, you know, you've always got fact checkers out there, right? <laughs> so when this airs, somebody's going to try and figure out what date it aired on, and some guy with nothing better to do is going to try and check and see what the weather really was. They're going to check you for truthfulness, Mark. <laughs> well, I'm all about the truth. I may not deliver it properly, but I am all about the truth. <laughs> so, Mike, let me ask you. Um, for years, you were the host of Open Mic with Mike Bullard, and it started on the Comedy uh, Network, is that right? Yeah, seven years. Wow. And and it was on CTV and Global? Yeah, it was at Global for about 10 minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to guess your last 10 minutes. The first 90 minutes were on CTV. <laughs> I made the mistake of going to Global when the uh, guy who owned it uh, wanted me to come, and then he died and his two sons took over. And uh, the younger son ran the network, and the older son didn't, but he decided to stick his fingers in my show all the time. Behind their backs, we used to call them Fredo and Michael Corleone. Because <laughs> <laughs> Fredo wasn't smart enough to run the network, but uh, they gave him my show as a personal project. <laughs> and this guy actually came up to me one day and told me that he thought it would be a great idea if I sang the monologue. Sang like the Broadway monologue. musical. <laughs> Because nobody else was doing it. And then I turned to him and said, there's a reason nobody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Do you know that you're the only uh, Canadian late night TV uh, talk show host to have uh, done what you've done? Yeah, I guess, you know, uh, I guess there's Strombolopolis, but you can't really call that a late night talk show. It was no. more like a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, it was a great one-on-one. -on -one. He's, he's, he's wonderful, yeah. what he does. But yeah, it wasn't George's your... a good guy. Great guy. I've met him a few times. A great show. Super. Yeah. Funny, uh, the people who walk up to me all the time and are upset that uh, it wasn't on for 20 years are mm -hmm. musicians and record companies. Really? It was a real platform for uh, musicians, real platform for bands, because we had a band every night. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was very, it was formatted like the, like the Tonight Show. It was. Uh, yeah, it was exactly the same format. Yeah. 
when I, when, when I came up with the idea for the show, they said to me, well, we don't want to do the same format as the Tonight Show or Letterman or Leno. And I went, why? <laughs> you know, the problem in this country is you didn't do it in that format. That's why none of them ever worked. Mm-hmm. So I really strongly suggest that we do it this way. Yeah. You know? And when I was coming up, there was uh, the most famous people in the country were news people. Because mm-hmm. they were the ones who were on TV all the time. You know, we didn't have anybody in a variety or uh, entertainment aspect mm-hmm. who had a show. And there's no way in the world there was a comic in the country who had a show. Hasn't been uh, before, hasn't been since. Yeah. Who had a late night talk show. Those things were anathema to people in this country in the, uh, in the network television business. I never understood that because there's so much talent coming out of there. And you were the only one in a, in a 50-year span who was uh, the official late night talk show host of Canada, really. Yeah, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to do it now. Why? Because there's so many American ones now. Yeah, there are. You know, there's just too many of them. I think there's something like eight of them when you count them all up, including Samantha Bee. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no way you could compete here. No way. It was hard enough when I was up against two of them. Mm -hmm. It'd be even harder now up against eight. Really? You don't think that there's some kind of a national pride here that people would be into it? Because that's what I keep thinking over and over again. Call me silly. But I don't know. I've some of the worst that. criticism we got by email was, uh, you know, you had another Canadian on last night. Well, what the hell do you think? It's what we're, we're about. I'll tell you, the funniest thing that ever happened was when I had an actor on uh-huh. who was in a CBC series. And the, the guy wasn't famous, but uh, I'll never forget it. I laughed my ass off for about two days. I threw to an Advil commercial and the guy was in it. <laughs> Nothing made me laugh that hard during the whole run of the show. Uh, I, I saw, you couldn't see the commercial breaks uh, during the taping, but uh, when I saw the show later that night, when they gave me a tape, there it was. The guy was in the Advil commercial. It was some kind of uh, error somebody made by throwing that commercial in there while the guy was on the show. I thought it was so funny. And he probably made more money doing the Advil commercial than he did sitting beside me. <laughs> so good for him. <laughs> the show lasted years and years. Like, and why? Yeah, 1,250 shows. That's, you know, phenomenal. 1,250 shows. 600 would be insane, especially in this country where it's, you know, fairly meek in terms of entertainment uh, confidence, I should say. They're always thinking that we're not as good to have a show, but you were just as good, if not better. I think better than, than Leno by far, but I thought you were more on par to uh, David Letterman. Well, the difference between my show and theirs was one, our budget was like 20 grand a night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Letterman at the time, and I could be wrong about this, was uh, 400,000 an episode. So you take a look at that, take mm-hmm. a look at the fact they had 21 writers, I had three. So right away, you got a huge difference right there. Yeah. I mean, we used to joke that his green room, uh, you know, cheese and cracker budget was uh, higher than our entire show. <laughs> but that should be a given because we have uh, 10 times less the population. Listen, I knew it going in. Yeah. I knew it going in. It's just how it is. I mean, if, if their budget is 400,000, here it should be approximately 30 to 40 maximum. Yeah. You know, given, yeah. given uh, the viewership in this country. Yeah. But, you know, if you were on now, it'd be a lot bigger. Yeah. Because don't forget, there was no uh, there was no way to stream mm-hmm. with streaming now. Like I go on Netflix, you'll see a Canadian show on there, but it mm-hmm. might, I don't know if it's on Netflix America, but it's on Netflix Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I I think this country is uh, long overdue to have a show like that again. I I think it was silly that it went off the air. 
And uh, we're basically looking south of the border for the same old comedy. It's everything that you do, they do, only you're here and they're there. Yeah, it's... Uh, but you take a look down there. You look at a Stars Network or a USA Network. Mm-hmm. These are cable channels, and their viewership is probably equal to a main network up here, like mm-hmm. CTV or CBC or Global, right? So it's pretty amazing down there. You can have a cable show and mm-hmm. you're a household name. You know, yeah. up here, if you were just on the comedy network, you may not necessarily be a household name. My favorite show right now is Letter Kenny, which I think is brilliant. It's a fantastic show. And uh, and I had nothing against Trailer Park Boys or uh, Corner Gas. I liked it. But this thing is uh, probably the best uh, show I've ever seen that's mm. Canadian produced, directed, and written. And... Uh, Canadian actors. It's amazing. You've seen it, right? I'm talking to your technician, Carson. He's seen yeah, it. he's seen everything. He knows a lot more than I do. I've never heard of it, so I apologize for not knowing it. But. Well, and there you got a show like that, and they're, they put it on Crave, and they put it on uh, the Comedy Network, but they haven't put it on CTV. Why the hell they haven't put it on CTV is beyond me. Hmm. You know, it's incredible to me that it's not on the main network. You well, know how I got on the main network? No. I started on the Comedy Network, mm-hmm. and... Uh, they wanted to put me on the cover of TV Guide, but the but the Comedy Network wasn't on in Quebec, so they came to us and said, "Oh, they want to put you on the cover of TV Guide, but TV Guide only does it if you're a national show. So we're going to put you on uh, CTV for 12 weeks and see how it goes, just so you can get the cover of TV Guide." Oh. <laughs> Carson's looking at me like, "What's TV Guide?" He's, uh, <laughs> yes, it's not. Yes, it's it's got it's a well break it down carson tv and guide it's a guide to tv (laughs) so uh once that happened they just kept me on the main network well and why wouldn't it it lasted for years why did you change from ctv to uh to global was it a money thing was it you're tired of them were they tired of you I mean, it was such a hit show for all those years. I didn't want to. Be, I didn't want to be anymore. off in the summer anymore. The summer okay. was when all the movie stars were here. I didn't, you know, they lost interest, and uh, and I was being wooed by uh, uh, somebody else, and they hadn't come. They, they hadn't come to me with a contract. They let me mm-hmm. sit all summer, and then I got the. Uh, you know, I was getting the cold shoulder, and I just thought, well, that's it. I guess it's over. Because that's the problem here, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Once you do something. People will have a tendency to say, uh, well, you already had your turn, so now it's time for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I wanted more, I wanted, I wanted to push the show further and bring more money, and not, not for me, mm-hmm. but I wanted to bring more in for equipment and stuff like that, and I just couldn't get it. We didn't have a crane cam. We had a guy who's now got a bad neck who held a camera over his head. No. I'm not joking. The guy's got arthritis in his neck. On CTV? We had a six-foot, three-inch cameraman who uh, held a camera over his head. And wow. as far as last I heard, and I've stayed in touch with most everybody on the crew, he had uh, arthritis in his neck. So thanks, JD. Wow. Thanks for taking that bullet. Jesus. Yeah. That's really silly. Like they're talking about Pennywise and Dollar Foolish. So like, that's really stupid. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, what are you going to do? You huh. can't get the money for a crank cam. <laughs> <laughs> if you were offered a show, Mike, uh, again, uh, along the similar lines, would you do it? Uh, I'm sure you've thought about it. Man, it was so tough then with everybody in media pulling for it to fail before it even aired. Mm -hmm. I remember they threw this big uh, thing, uh, uh, promo event, and I went, you know what? Don't do it. Don't do it until it's on the air. 
air quietly. We were at the back of Gretzky's restaurant. Mm -hmm. I said air quietly and just let it build by word of mouth and people watching. And then you got the media going, oh, yet another attempt, you know, attempt number 151. And I I was going, see, you know, you don't need that kind of shit. You don't Mm -hmm. need that kind of shit before you go on. If you if you just debut quietly and let it build, then it's going to work. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's not going to work at all. I, and I just kept telling people, you know, instead of spending money on that, spend money on the show, you know? I used to say, like, the thing I always said to people hmm. was, here's a problem with uh, a lot of Canadian TV back then. They'll spend 5000 bucks on a desk and 500 bucks on a light. What they should be spending is 500 bucks on a desk and 5000 bucks on a light. Mm-hmm. If you notice that, I've been to American shows and you go, wow, this furniture looks cheap. But then you get on camera and they got this cool lighting and everything and you go, yeah, that's mm-hmm. why it looks great. If you've ever been to uh, an American late night talk show, it's way mm-hmm. smaller than you think it is. But because of the lighting, because of the money they've spent on the lighting, it's amazing. And back then they didn't, I don't know if they had green screen back then, but uh, with green screen now, they also have uh, stuff that looks absolutely amazing when you watch. Mm-hmm. Plus you got uh, high def 4K. Mm-hmm. Man, high def would have been good for me because you meet real people who are on TV and they're too skinny. I was too fat. So in uh, high def, oh. I would have been just perfect. I wow. would have been rock hard handsome. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I'd be doing a modeling shoot somewhere in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to uh, the Letterman show twice when I was living in New York as a guest. And I know what you're talking about. It was all about the lighting. Yeah. The lighting, the production value, sitting there and having, you know, and Letterman's behind his little desk, but there was so much fluff going around. It looked phenomenal. You'd watch it on the monitor and it was like looking at two different sets. Right. And I was right in front twice. Um, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Amazing. And I liked yeah. it the first year best because I was at Gretzky's. Mm-hmm. We were in the back room of Gretzky's and uh, had 99 chairs and hmm. always had a lineup to get in. People, there were people turned away. Hmm. And then they moved me to the Masonic Temple and I went, you know, it's got 180 seats. That's great for Friday. What mm-hmm. about Tuesday? You know, in I don't want to have a half empty theater on Tuesday. And I just kept saying, why didn't we just stay at Gretzky's? Why didn't we just stay at Gretzky's? And I wish we'd stayed there for the whole run. Even though I had to shower and get ready across the road in an office space we rented and then walk over, I didn't care. <laughs> That's you know? funny. You know, I ever heard that story about Letterman that they built a tunnel underneath where he parked all the way into the Ed Sullivan Theater so he didn't have to deal with the public when he uh, no. wanted to do the show? I still don't know if it's true. It's like Al Capone's vault, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I always heard that. Yeah. And for me, I like talking to regular people. So for me, walking across the road was great every day. Mm-hmm. Nothing I love more than a truck driver honking his horn at you and saying, hey, Mike, and all that jazz. I, I you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget the funniest thing that happened was I walk out of a place one day and a guy goes, uh, hey. I go, what? He goes, you suck. So I kind of took it personally. I thought he was watching the show, right? So then <clears> uh, I watched him <laughs> and there was a guy in front of his store sweeping the sidewalk and he said, hey, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> so then I realized the guy didn't even know who I was and I was getting mad for nothing. And the other thing was the first week I was on about day two or day three, a guy walked up to me and said, Hey Mike, how are you? And I, I don't know if it was a mental block. Like uh, I didn't know if anybody was watching. I really didn't at the time. And I just uh-huh. went, who is this guy? How do I know this guy? Why is this guy walking up to me and saying hello? Do I know him from somewhere? Did I work with him? 
and that's so Canadian. Mm-hmm. Mike, you won a Gemini Award. Yeah, two. Well, two. Wow. Mm-hmm. When was that? Uh, during your years at CTV? Yeah. Three, and I would have traded up to an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? I said about that when we won. I, I said, uh, "This is great, but do you know how many canceled shows in Canada win a Gemini Award? They get canceled, and after the Gemini nominations, then they win the Gemini." I always said to everybody, "That's not what it's about. Like it's about the fisherman in Newfoundland and the wheat farmer in Saskatchewan. You got to make mm-hmm. sure that's who you're doing the show for, not awards." Mm-hmm. I was thrilled to get it. I still have it somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you've done a what? Probably 2,000 nightclubs across oh, yeah, the country yeah. or across North America. Was it always across Canada or, or across the border? No, both. I did a lot of corporate yeah. stuff in the U.S. too. Flying back and forth. That, the grind that you hear about comics coming and going one night here, For one me, it was hard because I had a full-time job too at oh, Bell, right? Yeah, yeah. So for oh. me, I, it, at first it was thrilling. Yeah. But then because I had a full-time job, it wasn't so thrilling anymore. I remember the the first two times I had to travel. Oh, I was so excited. I had like two suitcases with four sports jackets and like three pairs of pants. And then you get to a point where uh, you whittle it down to one sports jacket and one pair of pants. <laughs> then you're going to be gone for two days, so you whittle it down to what you got on plus a <laughs> pair of underwear <laughs> and a thing the size of a gym bag. And uh, that's where you cut off because you can't go lower than that. And, and a fresh pair of socks. So you went on with what you had on. You had a f- change of underwear for the trip home and a fresh pair of socks. That's where, that's where you whittled it down to. Anybody who travels a lot will tell you that. Yeah. Business guys too. That must have been grueling. Full time uh, about- job and doing it, yeah. 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 And how about after that? Because you've been to literally, what, 2,000 venues you've done? Yeah, um, probably. Uh, after that in the summer, we would... Uh, when the show was on hiatus, the writers and I would go on tour. And when I look back now, I wish we'd done it every other year, you know, because I'd never had any appreciable time off. Mm-hmm. So I never learned how to enjoy it. And when I have time off, I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had uh, taken that summer time and traveled. I wish mm-hmm. I'd done some things I've never done. And hopefully I will have the opportunity to do them. But I wish I'd done that instead. Mm-hmm. You know, like really uh, turned off the burners. Yeah. And enjoyed myself. That's what I wish. You know what I wish I'd done? I wish I'd gotten on my motorcycle and taken Route 66 out to LA and back. Hmm. That's still something I wish I'd done, and I I hope I get to do it. Yeah, why not? A lot of people have done that. Well, that Route 66, don't ask me why, but it fascinates me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something I want to do. Or Sturgis, where they have this big motorcycle thing every year. Mm -hmm. There's over a million bikes that show up. I never got to do that. That was in South Dakota. I should have done that. Mind you, there's a lot of stuff mm. I didn't know was going on at the time. Because don't forget, we didn't have Google. We didn't have uh, yeah. the internet, right? So now you know all that stuff. Yeah, but you were also a workaholic during that time. You were like, you know, it was your time. You were Yeah, you know, I liked like, working all, all the time. Yeah. I wanted to make hay while the sun shone, right? Yeah. So working for me was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to connect with people who weren't in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I never wanted them to think of it as a Toronto-centric show. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was important to me to go to Edmonton, go to St. John's, uh, go to Vancouver, huh. places like that, and perform live while the show was on the air. How were you received out there? Good. 
Yeah, yeah it was good because when you came out there, people appreciated the fact that you did come out and they made the connection that you were trying to make sure it wasn't a Toronto-centric show. Mm. As most are and people, you know, it's like the, the world revolves around Toronto when you live here. And uh, it's good that you did that. One of the reasons this hour has done so well, this hour is 22 minutes, is because it's out of Halifax. It doesn't forget its roots, and it never leaves Halifax, right? Mm -hmm. So people, and even though it airs nationally, people know it's taped in Halifax, and uh, so they don't have a bone to pick with it. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever gone out to Vancouver, and somebody walks up and says, where are you from? You go, Toronto. They go, oh, I hate Toronto. Oh, yeah, when were you there? Never. Okay, thanks. (laughs) It's exactly what they say. (laughs) It's the sentence I've heard the whole time I I had to leave. I felt like an outcast there. I couldn't believe it, but that's how it was. Yeah. The same thing in Montreal. From Toronto, Toronto. Ugh, I hate Toronto. Ugh. Well, there's no... Uh, <laughs> I never want us to be like the States where rah, 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 I love a parade. Yeah. You know, and every time the flag waves, you uh, jump up and down. But, geez, a little more cohesion across the country sure as hell wouldn't hurt. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not sure what uh, why that happens. It's been like that for like 30, 40 years as far as I remember. It's really stupid. Yeah, the only time I remember everybody getting together was 1967 when I was like nine. (laughs) Yeah. And the whole country was jumping up and down. Yeah. Because it was Confederation. It was the 100th anniversary, and that's the last time I ever saw anything like it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think it's very weird because there's so many beautiful towns across the country. Everything's so picturesque and beautiful cities. Yeah. I don't know why, you know, you can't just uh, appreciate everybody else's. uh, Trust me when I tell you, Marco, there's some shitholes too. Yeah, and I've been to all of them. Yeah, I don't know how you. I'm do not that. gonna name them because some yeah. of them are big, but there are some shitholes. Yeah, yeah, I can I can name a bunch of shitholes. I've worked in a bunch of shitholes too. It's just ugh. makes me happy to come back home here to Toronto. Yeah, thrilled to love it here. How did your book do, Mike? Good. Yeah, I love the title. Little thoughts from a big big head. Yeah, I think it did ten thousand in uh, hardcover and then ninety thousand in paperback. Wow. Yeah, and 10,000 in hardcover is good in Canada. That's what mm-hmm. they told me anyway. Well, they wouldn't go to paperback if they didn't do well in hardcover, right? Okay. Yeah, I was surprised at how well it did. You didn't want to do a follow-up? No, nah, not really. Uh, okay. You know what? I know a lot of things that people wish I didn't know. <laughs> okay. And now's not the time. Yeah. But if the time ever comes and I think there's an interest, Mm-hmm. I might do it, but you know, by then nobody's even going to remember I had a show, so there will be no point in doing it. I don't think so. I think you. I think everybody remembers that you're the only one who had a show. Yeah. Anybody I speak to, Mike, says the same thing. I wish we had another show like Mike Bullard. Why do we not have a show? What, what I mean, like, and they. Yeah, they, and then you get the odd person. Who, you know what? And then you see the odd person who hates you. Goes well because of Mike Bullard. We don't have a show like that. Well, you know, fuck you. I've never heard that. I have. Okay. I did, and I, I did it for seven years, you know, and it wasn't on government money. Hmm. It was, uh, had to be a revenue enhancing show. Yeah. So the show was making money and it, and it stayed on due to ratings. So when somebody says that to me, I go, hey, it's not uh, government broadcasting there. You know, mm-hmm. it never was. I don't even think we got a film and television tax credit. Wow. Yeah. I don't, okay. I, we didn't qualify because uh, at the time they said, uh, it's not variety. It's not, uh, a music show, so hmm. it falls somewhere in the middle, so you don't get it. Now, oh, my weird. brother lives in L.A. He's a executive producer of Tim Allen's show. He told me the funniest thing once. He said, you want to know the biggest difference between uh, the U.S. and Canada? I said, what? He goes, in Toronto, if you have a uh, good idea, 
No problem at all getting in to see the head of the network. No problem whatsoever. You'll get to see the president of the network and you'll get to pitch your idea. Mm-hmm. What you won't get is a response. And then uh, six months later, somebody will knock on your door. It'll be somebody from FedEx <laughs> returning your script or your idea to you saying uh, with a note that says, couldn't help but notice this on my desk. Thought you might want it back. He said in the States, it's impossible to get in to see the decision maker. But if you have a great idea and somehow through some miracle, you get in to see the decision maker, you're on the air in six weeks. <laughs> That's the biggest difference. Yeah, and they recognize the value. Well, they when they see a good idea, they but then yeah. again in the States too, there's 10 layers below that person and that, their job is to say no. Yeah. That's yeah, their yeah. job. Their job is to keep their job mm-hmm. by saying no, not taking any chances. Yeah, they're fearful. It is. It's exactly what it is. It's funny. I used to see that on the film sets all the time. Everybody's just like, no, you can't talk to them. No, no, you can't go there. No, no, they just so they they feel like they're doing the upper dudes and gals uh, a, a good thing by not yeah. introducing them to somebody. Just really stupid, but it happens all the time. Yeah, I created a game show for divorced people called Alimony. It's like the newlywed game <laughs> turned on its head. And I had a meeting with a guy at ABC, and he goes. And I knew the guy wasn't the guy. I knew he wasn't the guy. Here they were scared to do it. Mm-hmm. Down there where the divorce rate's over 50%. Uh-huh. If I'd gotten, to, I still to this day say if I'd gotten to the right person there, it would have been on the air. But this guy was, uh, wow, what a great idea. I love it. I love it. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> that was pretty much it. <laughs> and there, there was the time they, uh, William Morris was digging around Canada looking for clients. Mm-hmm. so they asked me to come down to LA for a meeting and I knew it wasn't going to be a nothing meeting because they didn't offer to pay for my plane ticket right they didn't if they don't offer to pay for your plane ticket or your hotel then you know that nothing's going to come of it mm-hmm. so I went into a room and these uh, <clears throat> four guys in black suits and white shirts came in and they were all they all had strawberry uh, frappes from Starbucks and they all sat down at the same time. It was like they were one guy. <laughs> and uh, so because I'm Canadian, it's like they don't know that we have all the same shows up here. They yeah. have, we have everything they have. And what the head guy turns to me and he goes, uh, so I bet you've never met guys uh, like us before. I said, yeah, once every four years when I buy a car. <laughs> so it kind of went down the tubes from there. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> True, though. I love that. Uh, what about your brother? Your brother has been fairly successful as well, uh, south of the border. He's been living there for years. Yeah, he was writer on Roseanne. Then he was the uh, executive pro- or head writer on Grace Under Fire. Then he was the executive producer of Reba. Mm-hmm. Now he's a producer on Tim Allen's Last Man Standing. Yeah, he's been down there a long time. Wow. I tell you, you'll never see him come back here. Well, he's working all the time. He's if you see him here, it's in August. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always told people, man, if my dad if my dad hadn't died the week after Labor Day, I don't think my brother would have come to the funeral. <laughs> you know? Because his blood's so thin now. Yeah. He cannot stand the cold. Yeah. He loves it here. His kids have dual citizenship just in case another Iraq war comes along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but his blood is way too thin to live here. He cannot stand the cold. Yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, the cold is really harsh and it's it's not very pleasant for the most Yeah, last winter did me in. Yeah. 
Last winter did me in. I don't know I what it's did. going to be like this year, but last winter did me in. Well, last year I, I, I spent about five, six weeks in LA in the winter, and I think I'm going to do the same thing this year. So Lucky I'm, you. Yeah, it's nice to pick up and leave. I didn't come here to hear about how great your life is, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you ever going to collaborate with your brother on any projects? I doubt it. He's uh, okay. he's at the point now where this might this thing might be his last run. Oh, okay. Retirement. Well, his son is uh, ranked, uh, I think, number two or three in the U.S. in tennis. He's what? got a big UCLA. Yeah, nobody in our family. I, ca- I can't believe it. It's like the kids adopted. <laughs> nobody in our family has motor control. Nobody. Nobody can do anything. And my brother's wife's side of the family, her dad was a phys ed teacher, so I think he might get it from that side of the family. But he <laughs> just got a uh, big scholarship with UCLA in tennis. Kid's amazing. Wow. So I think uh, what he's going to do is put his focus on his son after this. Mm-hmm. And my other nephew, his other son is a scratch golfer, and he's uh, mm. 13. Scratch golfer at 13. 13. I don't, know, I don't know where these kids got it from, really. They didn't get it from any of us. You know what? It's, it's because they're raised in L.A. Probably. It's that climate. It really keeps you outdoors more than indoors, and you venture out and learn about outdoor sports, and, and you become that person. Everybody's outdoors, and that's what they do. Yeah. It's the climate. You can be playing tennis in January. But, you know, it's no culture. I mean, it looks like, uh, you know what it is? It's Scar- L.A. is Scarborough with palm trees. It's exactly what I called it. Really? Scarborough with palm trees. Although my exact words, I've written about it for years. In, in really? Probably, for almost 30 years. The Sorry, exact I stole term. something from you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. But I always looked at it as Scarborough with palm trees. It looks like bedrock. I always thought about, how did they get the image of bedrock? You know, when you yeah. see the Flintstones, all those little tiny bungalows and the people. And I realized... It was from the valley. It mm. looks like the valley. Once you live there, you realize that was bedrock in the 60s. And, and it I mean, still looks like that. We're talking like two vape stores and one strip mall. Yeah. Two. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. And nobody yeah. nobody yeah. smokes there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody. There's no place to smoke. I mean, you think the laws here are harsh. The laws there are unbelievable. Yeah. And I think with the wildfires and all that stuff, you get caught throwing a butt out a window. You're doing, uh, you know, you're doing John Wayne Gacy time. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's quite serious there when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Quite serious. I, I, I remember seeing that when I used to live there in the 80s, and I was with a friend of mine. We were on top of Mulholland, and we sat on, you know, one of the rocks, and he was having a cigarette. The cops pull up out of, from nowhere. Yeah. And they stomped you, ready to arrest you. This is in the 80s. And we didn't know what was going on. And uh, and he says, you can't smoke up here. It's thinking, well, why? It's like, because it's going to cause a brush fire. Yeah. Never dawned on, and when you're 25 years old, when you're looking over the valley, you're sitting down having a coffee. You didn't think about it. And then you realize how serious it was. It was a warning. They didn't arrest us. We didn't get a ticket. It was just a warning. Yeah, that's what bugs me when I rent a car even here, you know. Hmm. I smoke. And... Uh, when the stickers on the window when you rent a car that says no smoking, mm-hmm. fuck you! I just rented this car. I want to treat this car like my car. You know? Yeah, but you can't because it's not yours. So I bitch about that when I rent a car in LA. I'm like, it can't have any. If it smells like smoke, I'm returning it, and if there's any pet hair, I'm returning it because of the allergies. And sure enough, a few times there's a smoking. You know, there's a bunch of people Jesus, probably smoking. If I smoked. you were like that, I wouldn't be I'm here. So- <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times there were dog hairs in the back thing and I'm like no change the car out and they just they change it out it's just like I can't do it with the hairs and they can't do it the uh, what I do out. is I put half a glass of water in the cup holder and I use it as an ashtray and mm-hmm. then uh, I don't know what it's called but it's, it's I don't know what brand it is but it's new car smell and then I buy a bottle of new car smell I'll vacuum it before I return it and I spray the new car smell in the headliner 
Hmm. And they never know. It's a good idea. So if you rent a car and it smells like smells new, thank me. <laughs> Mike, how did you like uh, working on uh, on uh, CFRB ten ten? Good. Yeah. Treated me well. Mm-hmm. It's a good show. Lasted a while. Yep. Uh, eight years. That's more than a while. Didn't like the way it ended, but yeah. You know. Uh huh. Can you talk about that? Uh, just, no? uh, you know, I got into a bad relationship and, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of, uh, untrue accusations were made. Mm-hmm. The one that really bugged me was this stalking thing that was out there for two years and the Toronto mm-hmm. star retracts it. Yeah. And, uh, says there was never an allegation and I had to have a police officer come forward and say it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And the part that bothered me about that when we got to the end of it after two years was, well, what kind of person are you if you allowed the Toronto Star to write that I stalked you Mm -hmm. and you not only knew it wasn't true, you never made the allegation. Why didn't you step forward and straighten out the record? Mm -hmm. You know, my beef with CFRB is they stood by me for five minutes. And this was not a me too thing. Yeah. Has nothing to do with it. And I'll tell you something else. Over the last two years, not one other woman came forward and said a thing. And the reason that is, is the reason for that is because I've always been a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, this thing was so hurtful to me, it was unreal. And I started, uh, it was so surreal, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And uh, an assistant crown attorney who thought this was going to be the case that made her this whole thing came down to uh, me making two polite phone calls to ask that someone she worked with stop spreading these stalking lies. And I'll, I'll own up to that. I wasn't supposed to call, and I did. That's it? Yeah. The judge uh, said, uh, I think the judge even said, uh, you know, if it were me and I heard those rumors, I might have been tempted to make the call myself. But then this is I would have made the call myself, probably well, five of them. Well, this that's I think I made three or four or five. Big and deal. The assistant crown attorney uh, started nailing me for every single thing she could possibly think of. Most horrendous human being I've ever met in my life. And uh, right now there's a civil case going on, so I can't comment too much on it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this thing absolutely put my life into a tailspin. And I watched the same. Uh, Just from that. Well, and then, and then I'm watching the same assistant crown attorney. A guy knocks down his girlfriend's front door and knocks out one of her teeth, and he gets a peace bond. And I'm sitting there going, "This is like Twilight Zone. What what is mm-hmm. happening here? It's a celebrity thing." Well, and it was because you know, and uh, I said, uh, my lawyer said to me, "Well, don't you get it? It's because it's you." Mm-hmm. That's exactly. And this what is it an is. opportunity to really uh, kill a privileged white male. Mm-hmm. You just got the wrong uh, crown attorney, and then uh, he started, you know, apparently there's been issues before, but mm-hmm. if there's an opportunity for a malicious prosecution thing to happen, I hope it does, because to get charged with breach of bail for having my gallbladder out and being in the hospital for a week. I'll tell you something. If you ever go to uh, jail. I did, in L.A. Well, basically what you do is you uh, open a phone book mm-hmm. and you take the first lawyer you see. I went through two before I got to the right guy. And mm-hmm. it cost me a lot of money. And we finally got to the point where, okay, I will plead guilty to what I did do. And I got a uh, conditional discharge. That's why I'm here today because it ended today. 
Mm. I said, I just, I said to somebody, I can't afford to spend 70,000 more dollars on legal fees and be living at somebody else's house to go on and on and on with this. So they dropped the, uh, for some reason I was charged with obstruction of justice and I was charged with criminal harassment and the judge threw both those charges out. And once that happened, all I had left was this uh, harassing phone call thing is what they call it. But he said, polite contact. And I said, you know Mm -hmm. what? I just stood up and said, I did it. I admitted all I did it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll take my licks for it. Yeah, but it wasn't mean or vengeful or anything. It was just, that's ridiculous. He said uh, right in the courtroom, you know, you were a perfect gentleman. Yes. When you did it. So, you know, I just, uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, Mm -hmm. my mother died during the process. It it was horrible, and I blame myself for that. And my brothers told me not to, but you know, living with somebody else, living in living in somebody else's house for two years, yeah, it was just a nightmare. Just a, and I'm not, I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not victim blaming either. Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, bottom line is, it was a bad relationship that, Mm -hmm. like many, you know, yeah. Then that's all it was. Yeah, you know, that somebody turned into something else. Yeah. It was the fame factor, you know. Yeah, and there was the one thing I won't forgive is an interview that was done with Chatelaine after that was just over the top full of lies. Mm -hmm. And uh, my lawyer's dealing with Rogers on that now because they own Chatelaine and that's where the other person works. Mm -hmm. Which also didn't come out in the interview that, uh, oh, by the way, this person is an employee of ours, you know. Yeah, very careful to filter that stuff out. You've known me a long time. You know someone I was in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And I have never stalked or abused a woman in my life. Yeah, I, I don't buy any of it. And uh, and that's why friends of mine who are, you know, we're fan friends are just like this thing, in our opinion, was bullshit. I mean, we're of this age. We understand. We see things. It's just like, you've got to be kidding me that your your career could fall apart for something that really didn't happen. And we've had these discussions like we went out for dinner and so forth. And we just think it's ridiculous that it's it's come to this well the timing was bad too right yeah it was after the gameshi thing and but just before the me too thing mm-hmm. and i believe in the me too thing as long as someone's mm-hmm. not as lying long as it's real. of course as long as it's real absolutely 100%. and i don't i've never believed in uh you know he said she said mm-hmm. i believe if somebody did something they should be nailed for it regardless yeah. of their gender i agree a like I, it's the same way i feel about carding i feel you know mm-hmm what are you doing just pulling over black kids? Uh, you know, if you're in a neighborhood, you should be pulling over everybody if something happened. Everybody. Mm-hmm. If they had done that, they never would have had the carding issue. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. By the same token, <clears throat> it's not as bad as the U.S. where, yeah. uh, as I said to a friend of mine the other day, shoot first, card later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're lucky in that respect. Oh, you know, I'm always nervous again to get pulled over in the States. Always nervous. I got pulled over talking on the phone a few years ago and it was law there. I got like a $287 ticket. I was in Sherman Oaks on Ventura Boulevard and it's just, and I pulled over and they're like, I couldn't figure out what I did wrong and I forgot I was on the phone. And they got their hand on their holster when they're walking they up to do. your car. You they don't got, see that here. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. And I was just like, I saw him through the rear view mirror coming up to me with this, like the gun. This is the middle of the day, like at lunchtime. Yeah. And I'm thinking, 
this may not go down well. So I rolled down the window and we had a little conversation. I apologized immediately. And he says, show me your license and everything else and make sure you see your hands, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's see your hands thing. I want to see your hands the whole time. I mean, you don't hear that when you get pulled yeah. over here. It, it really makes you nervous. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's... Well, that and the fact that there's, uh, I don't know, probably a 40% chance that if you get into a road rage incident, that person's got a gun in their car. Mm-hmm. That part scares the hell out of me, too. I remember anytime mm-hmm. I visit my brother, he always goes, don't give anybody the finger. Don't, uh, mm-hmm. somebody cuts you off. Don't honk your horn. Don't yell at them. This is not like home. Don't yeah. do it. To the point where I had my hands attended to and I was freaking out every time I had to drive somewhere. Yeah. I was very naive and I was a victim of that once in, in LA in the 1980s, driving down through downtown LA. And, uh, and I did that. And then I got chased um, in the car. Thank God I was, I was like Evil Knievel in the car. I mean, I outdid them, but it was, it was really close. I could have killed yeah. myself. You're, you're running from these people. But, you know, it was, a, it was a live and learn scenario. Innocence, you don't know anything, you don't know any better. You just think, you know, fuck you. And all of a sudden, they're chasing you. Yeah. And it's, you know, two, three guys in a car. Or, what do you know? It's, I was, and at nighttime. Yeah, okay. and you know, and you're like me, you're, uh, you know, you're a white male. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I'm not anymore. Get all pulled of over for driving while black and see how nervous you are. Yeah. You know, I don't blame my friends who tell me those. My friends tell me those stories, and I do believe them, and this is hell of me. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine who lives in LA who's uh, black told me that uh, the black cops are the scariest ones to them. Mm hmm. You know, because they're the hardest on them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they're like, oh yeah, I can see that happening. So I'm going to guess you're never going to move to LA. You know what? If I had the money, I probably I would move to uh, where would I live? In the valley? Nope. I'd probably go more toward uh, Carmel or oh. uh, the winery area. Okay. You know, the ultimate thing to me would be to have a uh, summer home here in Niagara on the lake and mm. a uh, winter home uh, in the winery area in uh california that mm-hmm. would be amazing i knew somebody who bought a winery yeah in uh, prince edward county mm-hmm. sonia smith's oh okay yeah from street legal mm-hmm. CBC. i remember her her husband her husband was an executive and he bought a winery in uh, prince edward county and they both just packed it in and they went there and that's what they do now hmm. and happier people you never saw yeah well anything out of the business is happier you know, I wish I bought an tough. apple farm. I wish I bought an apple farm. Hmm. Because an idiot can grow apples. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all you got to do is either pick them up or pull them off the tree. <laughs> I just wish I'd done that. I wish I'd bought an apple farm. I never wanted a, you don't want a dairy farm where you got to break your ass every day from 4 a.m. till <laughs> till 8 at night. I know people in the dairy, in, dairy farm uh, business. Uh-huh. And you don't want the kind of farm where you got to get up at 4 a.m. to feed something. But apples, geez, that'd be great. Yeah, and I and I eat an apple a day. I buy them all the time. Show me a person who uh, hates an apple farmer. Show mm-hmm. me uh, show me a PETA demonstration outside an apple farm. <laughs> you won't see one. That's my thing. I want a thing where, no matter what the newest offensive thing is, nobody <laughs> can ever come after me. <laughs> Speaking of, wh- where are you at now, Mike? I mean, what are you going to be doing now? You're you're a ripe 60. Um, you have the same talent as you did before. You have the same energy as you always had. I don't you're know. You're smart. I don't... You're witty. 
Um, are you doing any um, any any stand up around the country? Are you just you know, kind I got of an agent low? that's been yeah. pretty dry in, because of this situation, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm at a new station. Uh, wait, are, is 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 it? Let me just say, is it dry because the agent thinks it's dry? Or are they afraid to pimp it out? Is it them, or do they really think it's dry because of it? No, I think I think it's dry because of really? my agent because uh, it was a bad situation. Well, you know what? It wasn't a bad situation. It wasn't a bad situation. It was an unfortunate situation, and it was just an angry situation, but that was all it is. It's like an argument between uh, any couple, for the most part. And, you know, and I was in a very uh, passionate uh, relationship with somebody for 20 years who you knew, and uh, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, it never would have gotten to this. Never. Mm -hmm. Never. You know? It was that person that blew it up because that person could i I, I tell you it left me with no respect for the judicial system Mm -hmm. i remember reading an article about how the crown attorneys were swamped what are you doing wasting your time on me Mm -hmm. you know and how overworked they were Mm -hmm. but it just wouldn't stop you see but i don't want to harp on it i just uh yeah i'm at 9 60 a.m which a friend of mine owns and he wanted me to go there and do the four to seven show so i'm doing that and it's a place that's going to grow mm-hmm uh, Mike Richards is coming to do the mornings. He's a pretty big name in morning radio, so he's coming to do the mornings in January. So we'll see what happens. Okay. I like going to work every day. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, I do like going to work every day. And, you, and you're still as good as you were before. The funny thing is I never drank, never did drugs. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked me once, gee, they said, that must be amazing. I said, not really. I lay in bed and there was sparks going off in my head. <laughs> if you don't forget anything yeah what did somebody say to me once if you don't forget anything you don't forgive anything you know sometimes if you have regrets they mm-hmm. go flying through your head but i as i said i never had the luxury of a drug or alcohol problem and i couldn't do it mm-hmm. when i was on top uh, at the top there i couldn't do it yeah you know other it was so funny that uh tons of people who worked on the show drank too much mm-hmm. but i was the one who was where he was supposed to be all the time. I was supposed to be the one that, I'm supposed to be the one, I'm no, it's my show, I'm supposed yeah. to be the one who's getting in trouble all the time. What the hell's going on around here? <laughs> you know, it was funny. Hmm. I, I mean, working with Cage all those years for that decade, I, I never went out drinking. I worked, I got up early in the morning, I went to that film set and I worked like a dog. They always just like, don't you wanna go out and party? I'm like, no. I said, I'm here for four months to work on a film, let's work yeah. on the film. Was never anything but that. It's just like I can go out and do my own thing whenever I want to, but never smoked, never, uh, never did drugs, never tried it, never even tried a joint. Nothing. Yeah, me neither. I socially drink, but responsibly. And These edibles just, might uh, do me in, though, Marco. These edibles. <laughs> the fact that they're coming out with edibles. Yeah. Yeah, that might do me in. Why? I love. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, what do you call the? Uh, you know the. The brownie stuff? I love brownies. I really love brownies. Mm-hmm. But so there's always been hash and brownies. I never really? went that route. I didn't know that. Uh, gummy bears. And I hear uh-huh. that uh, there's a line of gummy bears that'll put you right on your ass. And I love gummy bears. So, <laughs> you know, that would be the equivalent to, well, it'd be like slipping me a roofie if somebody threw a gummy bear in with a regular gummy bear <laughs> when I was at the show. The only time I ever did drugs was unintentionally. My brothers and I were at a party in the 80s and somebody put magic mushrooms on a pizza and I love pizza. Uh-huh. 
So my brothers found me in a tree at five in the morning. <laughs> and that was just an accident. So I never intentionally went and did anything. Uh, I've never even experienced that as an accident. Never. I think I would have died if I had done that. Oh. <laughs> it's funny. It took me like two days to get over it. Wow. And I went to a field party once where it was hanging in the air. Everybody was smoking dope. There's a term for it. I don't know what it is. Somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, but I took it in. And I don't know how I got home. And I had one foot on the floor all night. And that's the only exposure I've ever had. I can't wow. imagine what happened if I actually smoked a joint. I can't even be around the smell of it. And so friends are doing it at a party in LA in particular. You know what's funny now? I can't, legal. I, I'm smelling it everywhere. It's, I don't know if it's my yeah. imagination, but no. I'm smelling it everywhere I, I go. Apartment yeah. buildings. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Not not pleasant. Not good for me. Nope. So, um, so Mike, you're you're in decent spirits. Things are potentially getting better. Is that correct? Yep. Like you're on an upswing versus a downswing. Well, I'm on kind an of, even keel. Kind of like I'm on an even keel right now, okay. which I wasn't on. All right. Yeah. And at this point, you're going to stay with this radio station. See how see it what builds. Happens, yeah. And potentially do uh, gigs at night. Yep. You know, hopefully. See what happens. Do you think you'll be? I think you'll be well received once they get to see you, and you can you know talk about things and discuss it in in a certain light. Yeah, I know a producer is pitching a show about a private detective. He wants me to play him, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind giving that a shot. Yeah, I wouldn't why mind not? giving acting a shot before I die. Mm -hmm. Why? That, why not? You'd be great having your own show. Yeah, I, I just uh, mm -hmm. I mean, that that aspect of the business has always fascinated me, you know, like it has you. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'd love to give that a shot. Yeah, I I think that you would be very good at it. Now that you actually have a little more time to do it, and you're you're coming back, just yeah. go with it. Go bold. Go in there. Do the auditions. Get out there. Yeah, I would. I think uh, you know. I think we all want. Well, personally, me and my friends and and buddy Michael and so forth want to see a lot of you. Thanks, We've always buddy. been in support. You saw that last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. Everybody's in support. Everybody was thrilled to see you. Um, we feel like you got a bad rap, personally, uh, for me and my friends. And uh, we're hoping that you're uh, going to get back up there. Thanks, pal. Yeah, you deserve it. And you really do. For, uh, this should never define you, ever. No. The workload, the honesty, the years of knowing you inside out, the the fact that you're such a decent human being should really define who you are. Yeah, the part that really hurt was the charities I did all the work for for 25 years who just yeah, turned the other way. You tell you, they're not kidding around when they tell you to find out who your friends are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're afraid. It's, it's just three like people I never want to see again who I uh, really went to the wall for over the course of years. And I mm -hmm. just never want to see them again. But I want to end on that note. I want yeah. to end on a uh, happier note than that. That you're going to start to work all over again. Sure. Hopefully on TV, have your radio show, and then, uh, you know, start doing gigs yep. again. Which, uh, I mean, I personally, I really think it's going to happen. Thanks, I pal. do. Honest to God, Mike. Thanks. I have a lot of faith. So does Michael and blah, blah, blah. We've already discussed that. You're like, you're going to come back on this. Thanks. You have the same energy. You're still that youthful man. Thanks, Marco. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see that. So uh, you still look like Nicolas Cage with real hair. Yeah, <laughs> you interviewed Nick Cage. Yeah, way back then. That was during the time that I used to work for Nick, but I didn't know you then. No, it must no. have been somewhere in the nineties, right? It was when he did Wind Talkers. Oh, you know, with yeah, Adam yeah. Beach. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. Adam Beach was a guest of mine. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. How funny. Yeah, yeah. We did that in uh, in Hawaii and in uh, outside of LA. I remember he turned to me during the commercial break because he had seen the model. He goes, oh, gee, if I'd realized it was uh, the last time I was here, I, I just did a one-on-one straight interview show. I thought that's what this was. <laughs> if I'd known what this was, I would have brought my A game. I went, oh, okay. Well, we're just happy to have you here. <laughs> when you got a Hollywood star on the show, you yeah. can just... He or she could just sit there and people would stare at them. And the next day, people would be amazed that we even got the person. They didn't even have to say a word. Yeah. But why wouldn't you have those people on the show? I always thought that you should. Tried to get all of them, you know, and and we're successful a lot of the time. But yeah, you can't get them all. Yeah. He did a lot of publicity for that movie, which was a serious flop. And when they're here doing a movie, they don't want to uh, they don't want to step out of character. Right. Yeah, well, I don't know if they want. They don't want to step out of character. They're just, uh, you know, they're not interested. Secondly, they don't know what's going to happen with the film. They're not sure when it's really going to be released. It could right. end up being a flop, and they don't really want to discuss it much. Yeah, because it's all a hit and miss. Once it hits that editing room, the marketing, right? All that's you know, reading scripts a year or so ahead of time when we were working, I was like, oh my god, this sounds like it's going to flop. I'm like, I better save my money because it's my last gig. Because I can see that I'm not going to, I've got to get a job after this. Yeah, it's this. a weird thing when you're working with those guys. You're, yeah, you're reading your, your income depends on uh, how bright their star shines. <laughs> yeah. So you, you become very Like frugal. once you, you left him before he started getting released directly to video, right? Just before. <laughs> <laughs> when he went, that was like Ghost Rider. I didn't want to do. <laughs> it's like Ghost Rider. I read that script and I was like, I'm not going to Australia. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy I didn't go. Do you ever say things like, no, I wasn't the stand-in for Brandy. I was like, <laughs> by then. I didn't even hear about those. Mandy. Mandy, Mandy. Mandy Brandy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it was I, so bad, I can't even remember the listen, title. I saw the trailer and I'm like, I'm never going to see this film. I'm like, who's yeah. praising this thing? I was like, no, I was part of the good stuff. I was there for leaving Las Vegas and so forth. You yeah. know, it was way back then. But it was very interesting to be around him. Oh, I bet. Fascinating guy. I thought he was fascinating. He was fascinating. He was, and he still is. He's quite bright. Really smart. I learned a lot from him. I learned about, I had a work ethic, but he had a militant work ethic. Never showed up drunk. Never showed up fucked up. Not one day. The guy was all the time. He struck me as that type of guy when I met him. Mm -hmm. He was a career driven. Yep. I think he's coming back to that slowly as you are. Thanks, pal. So, Mike, I'm going to call it off. We're, uh, Thanks, we're done. Buddy. We're done. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming You've down here to my... Friend for many years. I was happy no. to be here. Thanks, Mikey. I will, uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Okay. Be well. Ciao. This concludes our conversation with Mike Bullard. You can catch him live on Saga Radio 960 AM, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Mark Akira signing off. Oh, yeah.